When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't want to trash talk the Calgary Flames too much. They did finish first. They did have a terrific season. And, you know, them getting knocked out of the playoffs by the eighth seed avalanche in five games. I mean, of course, that's got to hurt. And, of course, there are fans up here going, yay, Calgary lost, anybody but Calgary and all that. But I don't know. When I think about the Flames losing in the fashion that they did, I think about teams, you know, Coming in on, the, on coming in on a hot streak or timing things, so they're they're playing the way they need to play heading into the playoffs. You know, like you were saying before the podcast, Maddie. Uh, uh, you know, they were coasting for a little while after they had clinched basically first place, and never mind getting a playoff spot. They knew they were in. I mean, that's true for any team that knows it's in the playoffs, and there's an experience factor there too. It's not as though the Flames have been perennial, long playoff contenders, you know, with tons of experience. I'm thinking teams like Boston these days or, you know, any team that's that's got a a load of playoff experience that has that to lean on to know what it takes. Um, But, you know, this the Western Conference situation is exactly like 2006. Like right now as we sit, we've got San Jose and uh, Vegas are playing game seven tonight. This is Tuesday, uh, April 23rd. And uh, if San Jose loses, that means the top four seeds in the Western Conference are out. Now, that last happened in 06. Obviously, uh, the Edmonton Oilers were the number eight seed that year. Yes, and, you know, it happened. And then the Oilers beat Detroit in the first round, who who had a million points, 120-some points. And the Oilers got into the playoffs with a late rally, you know, getting Dwayne Rolison in, in, in the trade from Minnesota. And they got into the playoffs. And they were playing well then Detroit had coast you know had way better record than anybody else and was coasting into the playoffs and that's you know it, it is a cliche that if you get in you got a chance but you should also say if you get in and you are playing well at that time and you have been playing like you know cliche playoff hockey for six weeks you don't have to gear up for another level because you're already playing it just to get into the playoffs and it happening with Tampa Bay uh, you know playing against the Columbus team had a scrape in you know the last couple of weeks to make the playoffs and certainly it happened to Calgary uh, not so much Winnipeg because St. Louis you know those two teams in terms of on paper were very close but you know to take it another step farther St. Louis was last in the league on January 2nd so they were playing probably better than Winnipeg. So, you know, the playoffs are what there should be. Crapshoot. Carolina scraped, barely got into the playoffs, and it's 3-3 against the Stanley Cup champion, Washington Capitals. So um, if you're a team now 
that is still left and you dispatched a good team early, you're just sitting back, say, just keep playing. And, uh, you know, for the, the Islanders or Columbus, just keep playing. And by the time you get to the second round, we can throw all those names in a hat and who knows who's going to win. You know, and as, you know, as much as the Edmonton Oilers were basically out of it, you know, a month before the season ended, they were mathematically in it till the last week of the season. And you can't help but think back to some of those games, those games they could have, should have won. Who knows? Maybe we're talking about the Oilers knocking off the Flames in the first round. Although you got to, you know, Colorado Avalanche are in some ways like the St. Louis Blues. They weren't playing up to their potential this season. And I think we're seeing, you know, just how good that team is or their their top players are, Nathan McKinnon being the uh, chief among them. Well, he looks the closest in the league to Connor McDavid when he's got the puck coming up the ice. You can't take it off him. Can't take it off him either when he's got the puck in your end. I think he shoots the puck better than Connor. I think Connor is faster and can weave in and out of people probably better than, than McKinnon. But that, those, their three best players, Rantanen and, and McKinnon uh, and Landeskog certainly outplayed Calgary's best players. And that's usually the way it is in the playoffs. Everybody works hard. And if your best players working hard are better than the other team's best players working hard, and in Calgary's case, Goodrow and, and Monaghan and, uh, you know, Kachuk, um, Lindstrom, you know, you're going to win the games. And they did. And they got tremendous goaltending from Mike Smith and still lost in five games. And Brad Treleving says they might have lost in four games if – if Smith wasn't really good. So his team didn't do it, but all life lessons. You know, you go in and you get spanked, and next year you come back and you're usually better. Yeah, you know, think about the opportunities lost for playoff experience, and you can't go back in time and change things. You know, thinking about the Amazon or any team that didn't make the playoffs or barely got in or barely missed it, like Montreal must be, you know, wishing they had another shot at, you know, not finishing two points back of Columbus. Um, you know, but, but then again, I mean, it really depends on the team and where the teams are at when they're heading into the playoffs. Like you said, um, it's no, there's no saying that if Edmonton had made eighth place or if Montreal had made eighth place, eighth place in the East, that they would have been the ones knocking off those top seeds. It would just be a completely different dynamic, completely different series. Um, you know, and thinking back to 2006 too, I mean, there's, it's just, uh, it's, it's sliding doors. It's, you know, forks in the road. Like if, if one thing doesn't happen in the game, we were talking about, you know, maybe uh, the second round series that Edmonton played against San Jose in 06 and that pivotal game three, you know, that double overtime game, or was it triple? More than one. I it know was that. more than one. It was a long, <laughs> it was a long night. Yeah. Um, but you know, that game goes San Jose's way. And then we're probably not even sitting here talking about the 06 holders ever. No. And, you know, it was shocking that they beat Detroit. They played a trap. Detroit had no, you know, idea they were going to do that. And the Oilers won the series in six games, in large part because Chris Osgood was hurt. They had to play Manny Legacy in goal. He was nowhere near as good as Dwayne Rollison in that series, and the Oilers won. Uh, but you're right. It's all the playoffs. There's a very thin line between winning them and losing them often. Uh, like last night I was watching the Dallas game with Nashville and Nashville had some good chances and hit the post and stuff and, and Dallas looked better, but Nashville could have won and, and they didn't win. And now they're out another good team. that's out and, and Dallas, which scraped, scraped through the season, but had a really good goalie and Ben Bishop is still alive. So 
it's there's not much to choose. And if you're the Leafs that play in Boston tonight, uh, who knows? All I know is that the Leafs' penalty killing has been terrible, and Boston's picking them apart the last, uh, you know, couple of times. I think they're four for four the last, you know, times they've had power plays. And if your penalty killing can't kill a penalty in the playoffs, you're in a lot of trouble. With Jim Matheson today here on the Oil Spills podcast, Maddie um, Ralph Kruger in in recent days, you know, before Easter, you know, said he's not interested in coming back to Edmonton. Um, you know, I don't know if he was ever really GM material. I think he's more of a clearly he's been running a Premier League team in England for the last six years as a president, basically, and that's sort of the role that if for some reason he comes back to the NHL that he would be able to step into, you know, outside of a head coaching role, not a general manager's role necessarily. Bob Nicholson is doing that role unless Bob Nicholson wants to step aside and exactly. Ralph Kruger do it. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. And, you know, players come and go all the time. Players often get traded and come back to the teams they were on before. Heck, David Perron's played in St. Louis three times, you know, and sometimes a coach gets fired uh, and comes back to coach. Uh, the same team, but not in Ralph's case. I think it was been down that road once. I don't want to go back to Edmonton. I do know that his wife wasn't too happy the way it ended here in Edmonton because uh, most people figured he was going to be the head coach for a while, and it didn't turn out that way. But I think Ralph is Ralph's always up for a challenge, and I think he feels the president type thing is is more up his alley. And I think Ralph's probably in the picture for the Rangers president job too. I wouldn't be surprised if Glenn Sather, you know, has contacted Ralph because it's pretty well known that Ralph, you know, certainly knows his hockey and, and he's run a, a premiership team in, in soccer, different sport, but he's run an organization. And if uh, the Rangers don't get John Davidson from Columbus, um, Ralph would be certainly, I don't think he would be a, a fallback second option, but I you know, because Davidson's real popular, but I think Ralph could do the job too, but not in Edmonton. You because know, Peter Shirelli was the president of hockey operations as well as general manager. I mean, as far as titles go and duties, I mean, those things are very fluid. Never, you know, in any organization, hockey team or whatever, it's not as though you have a set, you know, a bunch of things you have to do and accomplish as a president versus like a general manager. I mean, you know, obviously Bob Nicholson is is filling that role right now. And I, it, you know, I mean, moving forward, you know, there's no talk of hiring a president of hockey operations. They're talking about hiring a general manager. Most president of hockey operations is the general manager. Right. John Davidson would be an exception in Columbus. Brendan Shanahan is an exception in Toronto. Um, they oversee, you know, the operation of the team. But I also think that has something to do with the business end of things as well. Um, but, you know, what often happens is you're the president of hockey ops and the general manager, and they all kind of fold into one another. But 
really hockey operations is is the, figuring out the pro scouting, figuring out the amateur scouting. And that's usually somebody else should be overseeing that whole thing rather than have the general manager who has to do the day-to-day stuff, but also has to worry about the what the pro scouts are watching and the amateur scouts and stuff. It's a lot of work for one person, but they usually give the, that's the job title, president, you know, coach, or rather general manager and president of hockey operations. And, uh, I think it's too much for one guy, myself, but that's what usually happens. And whoever gets hired as a general manager here, I'm sure that'll be the same thing. You know, and whatever the roles are, I mean, there are plenty of people who fill advisory roles as well. I mean, they're they're there to give advice. They're there to basically be an ear or an eye on how things are running. And if a general manager who, you know, is basically a figurehead or a, or a hub for a team and how it operates – I mean, obviously, that person can't operate in a vacuum. You know, he needs well, the pr- usually the like a Brendan Shanahan. He's the buffer between the ownership of the team and 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 the team and the players. He talks to the owner all the time. the The general manager just does the day to day thing. But when you're also the president of hockey ops, then you got to be talking to the to the owner, you know, frequently as well. So. Um, you know, like I said, it's it's a lot for one guy to do, and it works well in Toronto. Lou Lamarillo was the GM, but Brendan Shanahan, who was a player for Lou Lamarillo in, in Jersey, ran the whole show. And in Columbus, John Davidson's the president, but Kate Elaine and Yarmo runs the day-to-day stuff and makes the trades. And the president usually is more involved in terms of how much money they're going to spend for a player if they want to sign a player or in free agency, whether they can afford it. Mark Cavishot is an interesting hockey person. I mean, he's been a longtime coach. He's been in WHL and a few different teams. He's coached uh, on the world stage for Canada. He's been an assistant uh, in the NHL. Originally, when Mark Habeshide came on the scene, he was an Edmonton Oilers prospect. He was drafted by the Oilers in 1981. And if he had played pretty much on any other team at that time, like early when he was 20 years old or whatever, he likely would have been in a top six position if he wasn't for him playing for the Edmonton Oilers with Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, and all those all-stars and Hall of Famers they have. His opportunity, he probably didn't get the right opportunity for him if he played with anybody else pretty much. And he was with the organization for a number of years in the 80s before he was traded away. Tell me about Mark Havshaw. Now he's coaching the Prince Albert Raiders, who are the number one ranked team in all of Canadian junior hockey. They they didn't even lose 10 games this year. I think they lost nine games all Western Hockey League season. And now they're playing the uh, Edmonton Oil Kings in the Eastern Conference final. Right now they're tied one game apiece. And they have games three and four in Edmonton. Um, tell me about Mark Havshide, Matty. Well, I think he's, uh, you know, I, I asked him, I said, do you consider yourself a player or a coach? Because he's been both. And he says, well, I think I'm probably more coach than player. Um, but he started playing hockey when he was two years old. So he's played hockey more than he's coached. But he won a Memorial Cup in Kelowna. Uh, and he's got a team uh, tied 1-1 with the Oil Kings. Uh, that is a Memorial Cup certainly threat to get back again and it's, it's a very powerful team uh, with some good older players and this is probably Prince Albert's shot 
you know, they might fall off the map next year with with a lot of graduating players. So he's a really good coach. He's coached, coached World Juniors. He's coached uh, the World Championship team for Canada. He was uh, worked with Dave Lewis in Boston, hired by Peter Shirelli, as a matter of fact, 2006. He was on the Olympic team in 1988. Uh, grew up in Saskatchewan to uh, parents who uh, came from Luxembourg and dropped into uh, Saskatchewan and dead a winner with uh, not very very little money um you know no electricity in the house no indoor plumbing um but his dad built him a backyard rink like any father and uh, uh, that's how he learned to play so he's he's only 56 uh it seems like he's been around forever but he's of the same age that all those former oilers are they're in their late 50s and you wake up one minute and they're then coming up to 60 and it seems like they were just 20s. And you're right, back in the day with the orders, if he'd been on another team that didn't have Gretzky and Messier, he'd have been a top six player. He was very skilled offensive player. And uh, But to this day, he cherishes the fact that he was on that team and there's a picture outside just down from the order dressing room in 1982-83 orders and he's in a row with... Kevin Lowe and uh, Paul Coffey and Charlie Huddy and Dave Hunter uh, in the same photo as Mark Messier and Grant Fuhrer and Glenn Anderson and Yerry Curry, a lot of Hall of Famers. So he was a really good player. And I don't think he's ever lost his Oiler ties, even though he's playing the, the Oil Kings are owned by, by the Oilers. And um, he did say, you know, he was at Rexall place before it closed one time sitting in the media room and they had pictures of all the ex oiler stars on the wall and he was talking to dave Semenko, and uh he said uh to dave he says where's my picture and Semenko looked at him and says we're renovating he says maybe your picture will be up there in time but we're renovating so i wouldn't count on it <laughs> so he didn't get a picture up on the wall but he did play for the owners well, you know, one picture of Mark Habeshide, I do remember back in the day, in those days with those, that Oilers team in 82, 83, was he was part of the Red Rooster. It was a convenience store in Edmonton and beyond. They had a set of Oilers cards and his, he had a card, Mark Habeshide. I think he wore 23. Maybe it was 26. I don't remember. But anyway, I, I remember his, he had the, you know, it was the, had a curly hairdo. Maybe it was like Gretzky's. Yeah, he had a mop of hair because I looked at the picture uh, when I was down at the rink, and yeah, he had a mop of hair. Um, he still got some hair on, like a lot of the players back in those days that have lost their hair. And they, he said to me once too. He said, you know, he grew up on a farm poor, and he, he was nineteen, and he was playing for the Oilers, and he phoned home to his dad, and he was complaining about a few things, and his, there was a pause on the other end of the phone. And his dad says, well, you could always quit. He says, we're picking rocks in the next two weeks. So either quit complaining or come home. And uh, <laughs> Mark said, good advice. I just took the advice and quit complaining. You know, he, and he, he went up and down over those years. So he's with the Oilers. You know, the Oilers farms he would have been with in Halifax, based in Halifax or Moncton, maybe Cape Breton. Uh, you know, eventually he was traded, right? He traded to Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, he was traded to Minnesota uh, in the latter 80s. Uh, but he did play for Canada's Olympic team in 1988 in Calgary. So, um, yeah, he was – back in the day, I remember Glenn Sather talking about how 
skilled he was and he stopped short of you know legging on a little thick as he did with poor chris joseph saying he saw a lot of bobby orr and chris joseph and that's probably not the right thing to say um he didn't say that there was a lot of you know Henri Richard or something like that and Mark Havscheid, but uh, he was a very skilled player and now he's a really good coach and he's got, he's in a dogfight with the Oil Kings who probably outworked the Prince Albert team the first two games and lost a game, won nothing and won a game in overtime. What kind of a coach is Havscheid? Uh, he's a good coach. He's, he learned from, he said he learned from Sather and how the dynamic of a dressing room and, and star players and, and how they were treated. And, and he said it, he, you know, he's, you know, it's legend that he wrote notes on everything back in the day. And he's got all these binders of, of notes and observations and stuff like that. But he said he learned an awful lot back in those days. And I think he's a player's coach and, uh, you know, he's not a pile driving guy, but he's, he's won more than 500 games in the, in the Western Hockey League, one of only eight coaches that have done that. So he's been around a while. And he's not the sort of uh, coach we'd ever expect to see back in the NHL as a head coach. But I think he could Maybe. easily be an associate know. coach in the NHL. Mm-hmm. I think he's got lots of reputation. I think he could be an associate coach in the NHL. And, you know, it's it's funny. His, his associate coach last year and for several years in Prince Albert, Dave Manson, you know, decided up and decided he wanted to go coach with the Oilers farm team in Bakersfield as an assistant coach, um, just to, for a change of pace. So I wouldn't be surprised if, especially if, if Mark's team happens to beat the Oil Kings and goes to Memorial Cup and they do well, I'm sure some NHL teams might come calling. Now, the other tidbit of news that we've had Oilers-wise this past week is... Um, Todd McClellan being hired uh, as the head coach of the LA Kings. And there was talk, you know, I think the Buffalo Sabres were in the conversation talking to McClellan about coming in as their head coach. But LA is where he's going. He's, you know, he's he coached in San Jose in California for seven years before coming to Edmonton. Uh, and obviously he's got the relationship with Rob Blake, the general manager in LA who played for him in, in San Jose. And now here he is back in uh, the Pacific Division. Obviously, he's not waiting to get back into the coaching game right away. And, and obviously, he was uh, high on the LA Kings list because they didn't take long to decide to hire him. No, and like, a lot of coaches get fired and wait around for, like Elaine Vigneault waited around a heck of a lot longer, I think, than Todd McCollin, who five months and he was back coaching again. And it's difficult when you're a head coach for a long time and then you're out of work and it's fine for a couple of weeks and then you're looking at the games on TV and there's no rooting interest for any of your teams. There's no dog in the fight. You're just watching games like you're a fan sitting on the couch and he wanted to get back in. I don't think he's got a very good team in Los Angeles. I think he knows that. Uh, they're better players or older players. They don't have much in terms of young players coming. I mean, Doughty and, and Kopitar and Dustin Brown are, and the goalie Quick are really good players, but there's not a lot of young players there. He's been told that the direction of the team is going to be to, you know, drafting and developing. Uh, but I don't know when those young players are going to get to L.A. But five-year contract, he's got, 
you know, like he had a five-year contract in Edmonton. He's got a five-year contract in LA. And maybe this is the last contract he gets in the NHL as a head coach. Uh, but, you know, he's staying in the Pacific Division, the one division he knows the best. So that, you know, there's a comfort level there for coaching against Edmonton and Calgary and, and, and rather than taking a job in Buffalo and he was interviewed in Buffalo, no offer, but he was interviewed. Two really good young players there in Eichel and, and Dolan, which Cal, which LA doesn't have. But you can go to the rink in LA in shorts and flip flops. You can't go to the rink in the middle of January in shorts and flip flops in Buffalo. And so LA it is and we'll, uh, I'll be glad to see him. It's nice to, you know, a guy's coaching a team in the division that you know. And uh, they'd be playing the orders four or five times. One thing I wonder is, um, I mean, obviously, the uh, all of um, McClellan's assistants, save Jay Woodcroft, were showing the door after the previous season, after 2017-18. Now, Woodcroft is coaching the Bakersfield Condors, but I can't help but think, I wonder how many you know assistants that McClellan's going to bring in. Would a guy like Jay Woodcroft be jumping over to the Kings? Possibility. Uh, the only coaches they kept, I believe, when when Willie Desjardins got let go, or Billy Ranford, the goalie coach, Marco Sturm, who was brought in very quickly uh, with Willie Desjardins. Uh, so yeah, he's going to hire at least one other coach, and Jay has the biggest you know connection to Todd over the years. But maybe Jay wants to stay as a head coach in the minors. I think Trent Yanni would be a possibility to get hired as well because they have a history in San Jose and Edmonton to coach their defense. Very difficult. We talk about Ken Hitchcock's situation with a new GM coming in and problem in, if a new GM comes in and it's not Keith Gretzky, he might want to hire his own coach. But what about the assistant coach? There's, they're the ones that are twisting in the wind. You know, they, they're not the head coach and they have no idea who the head coach is going to be. If maybe the head coach comes in and he wants to keep some of them, a new one, but chances are that's not the way it works out. So they're they're watching this GM coach uh, search probably more than anybody else because their jobs are in in jeopardy. You know, thinking about the way McClellan got fired because uh, he was fired when. You know, on the road, they had just started, or just about to start a road trip in San Jose, and uh, he was let go before that game, and Hitchcock replaced him. Uh, can't imagine that would have set, you know, that wouldn't sit well with anybody. You know, why wouldn't you just tell him before? They could have, you know, if you're Peter Shirelli, you're thinking, well, I didn't have a deal hammered out with with Ken Hitchcock yet, but obviously he was talking to him. And, and he could have probably fired Todd after a bad loss at home. Uh, I can't remember which team it was, Columbus or Buffalo. I can't remember which team it was in, you know, third week of November, uh, rather than have the team get on a plane and fly to San, you know, San Jose. And uh, probably, you know, Todd's going out for dinner with either the GM or there's coaches and the next morning he's getting fired. So that would have been fine if Todd still has a, had his house in San Jose, but he'd think he'd sold his house in San Jose. So he couldn't exactly go home. Cause you know, even if, I mean, I'm, I'm no hockey executive, of course, and I'm not there to know what's 
obviously what's going on, but you do have a Glenn Gullitson who, let, let's say Shirelli had made up his mind, yeah, we're going to fire McClellan. Don't let him go on the trip. It would, you know, leave a bad taste in his mouth and it would look bad. Because uh, you have a Glenn Gullitson who could probably guide the team for a game or two while you're still hammering things out with Hitchcock. Don't yeah, you think? Yeah, it was poorly run. Poorly run. Yeah. And, and this is a question. And, you know, this and, is a and question Peter said it was then. very difficult to fire Todd and probably was. That was his first hire as a general manager of the Oilers, but it wasn't handled well. And he could have just done it before he got on the plane. It's one thing to trade players at the trading deadline while they're on a plane going somewhere because that's the trading deadline and you don't really know if the deal is going to come down or what. So sometimes a guy is, is you know, on a plane with you and the next minute, you know, you're going to him on the shoulder on the plane and say, oh, by the way, you got traded to Buffalo. So we'll land in Edmonton, but you got to find your way to Buffalo. So that's a little different. But with a coach, I think it could have been handled uh, certainly differently. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. SoundCloud.